0: I encourage you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 26. We say that often. Open your Bible as we speak the Bible, as it's read to you. And there's a meaning and a reason for that. You should see that what the pastor, what the person that is speaking, is coming from God's word. And you should know as a reference where to look for those things that have been spoken about that day. So we are in Acts 26. How did we get there? How did I get here? I have an opportunity this week to study God's word. And I have an opportunity to share it with you. Pastor Wallacher is in between finishing with 1 Timothy and returning to the book of John. So for me, how do I choose what to preach when it's only going to be one message? Remember when Doug Brubaker was up in front and and preaching just a couple weeks ago, he fell in line in Timothy with a specific part of Scripture. And that worked well for him, and he told us about expository preaching how when you do it that way, it makes it much clearer we're not being able to choose what we're going to speak about. I want to remind you, expository preaching. And I used a quote from a gentleman by the name of David Helm. He's a pastor in the Chicago area. He's a member of the Gospel Coalition. He's an author. He is the one that wrote one-on-one Bible reading. And I like what he said about expository preaching. He said, Expositional preaching is empowered preaching that rightly submits the shape and the emphasis of the sermon to the shape and emphasis of the Bible text. So how do we do that when it's just one section of scripture? Is that not going to sound more like a topical message? And we've said the topical messages aren't wrong, but sometimes they can take on the flavor of the individual that's speaking them by saying I think I want to speak about this subject, now I have to go find scripture that maybe talks about that. But I think that God led me to this scripture way before this time that I'm before you. But in thinking about topical messages, there's two things from two different authors that I've read about expositional preaching that I found helpful. One said, as many things when you're ministering among people and topical preaching being one of them is not not necessarily evil, but it's dangerous. And another said, expositional preaching is the way to go, but he himself admitted that he was one that has taught and given topical messages. So what he said was, Go ahead, do your due diligence, prepare your message, give your topical message, and then repent. (laughs) I'm saying that this message isn't necessarily topical, but I believe it has great application for us today. It is the inspired, inspired word of God that we will be reaching, that we will be reading and studying, and I think it is beneficial for Christians today Because it helps equip the saints for the call that has been put on our life. If you would, please follow along as I read Acts 26, verses 1 through 29. So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made defense. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I am going to make a defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among all my nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strict party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promises made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. For this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King. Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison and after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them, and I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. In the raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the high priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this reason, to appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus then in Jerusalem and through all the region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. In this day, I have had help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to raise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might come to such as I as I am, except for these chains. May the Lord and his Holy Spirit lead our hearts and remind us of the example in this word of God. We start out By looking and unpacking this part of scripture, by by thinking and seeing, remember the audience. Remember your audience. A little bit of background about Paul and what got him to where he is at this point. For the last two years, he's been in prison. The ruler at that time, Felix, put him in prison because he didn't know what to do with him. He said it was he was desiring to do the Jews a favor. So he left them there. And then he was replaced by a guy by the name of Festus. And within days of him being brought into power, the Jews were back saying to him, what about this Paul? What are you going to do about him? Festus's answer to that was, I'll send him back to Jerusalem, and that'll be a favor to the Jews. But Paul said, no, to Caesar, I will make an appeal. Festus said back to him, to Caesar, you've made an appeal. To Caesar, you shall go. And as it says in, verse, in chapter 25, verse 23, So the next day, Agrippa and Bernice came with great pomp, and they entered the audience hall, with the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. So now, in verse 1, Agrippa gives Paul permission to speak. He's called the king, but he's not really a king. Just a little background of who this Agrippa II is, he is the great-grandson of King Herod, who put out the decree to kill all those children that were less than two years old when Christ was born. He missed his chance at actually being king because he was much like Paul, and he wanted to be trained and go to school and learn, and it passed him by. But he was still a governor at that time, and he was kind of like the senior among equals. And he liked to act like he was a king. So they called him king. Paul thought this was good, that he would be in front of him. It was kind of a big deal because Paul being able to be in front of somebody that was a Jew would realize that he has a great background in the Jewish religion. What he was going to say to him was going to make sense. But also, so many times before when he was trying to speak, the Jews would cut him off, would never give him the audience that evidently King Agrippa was open to and give him free reign to say what he wanted to say in front of him. There's a hand gesture by Paul. Commentators speculate that maybe this meant that he stretched out his hand because he had perfect freedom and command of himself, that he was quite well ready to speak. He was earnest and expected their attention. But I think that Paul was a very humble man. And by his own actions so many times before, I think that Paul knew that it was better to know well what to speak than to be known well for how you speak. And Paul's own words and scriptures will tell that to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 5 and 6 says, Paul himself, indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, indeed in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Paul is saying, I'm not a great speaker, but I have the truth, and I'm willing to share it. Paul would say the same thing about himself, 2 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, a great chapter where Paul says what his abilities are and the limitations of them, but he said that the Holy Spirit was of great power and always pointed to God. Paul might have said that he wanted to be examined by Caesar, but he was not willing to go before King Agrippa and still give testimony to him. So he's glad for that opportunity to share with how he has suffered for Christ himself. And it says, second half of verse 2, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews When he said that, and he's saying that he's going to give a defense, what he's really doing is he's going to give him his testimony as to how God had worked in his life. But it was a testimony. Everything that Paul says in his opening and in his address is said out of respect to King Agrippa. We might think as we look at this that he's sarcastic about talking about his great knowledge and that he would be a great person to to have Paul share these ideas with. Not at all. He knew his background and he welcomed the opportunity to speak to him. And he by no means was ever putting down the authority of civil law. He knew that he had to be Under the same rules as everybody else. So since Paul got to answer for himself. He was glad that Agrippa was the one. That would hear the evidence. And because of that background. And because that King Agrippa knew the law. He could compare. What he was saying to the truth of the scriptures. And maybe he could see the truth. As Paul had seen it. But in saying that. That also could work against Paul, to have somebody that was known the traditions and the law of the Jews, because this Agrippa could be like so many other, he could be poisoned by those that he had as influencing him, the other Pharisees, the high priest, whoever. He could also say, as the Jews' head, this is a false religion. You're going against the religion of our forefathers. And lastly, I think it could work against him because maybe King Agrippa did not like the fact that Paul was willing to minister to Gentiles. Remember what Jews thought of Gentiles. So Paul <coughs> So Paul's plea to the king was in verse three, I beg you listen to my to me patiently, and if all of that wasn't enough for him to consider as his audience in King Agrippa, there was one more thing, and that was the rumors Paul must have heard him who is this King Agrippa? who is this Bernice they're coming in in great pomp and ceremony if he wants to be King Agrippa is this Queen Bernice, this is his sister. She likes the limelight of acting like the queen. She's twice divorced. The relationship at best has controversies that it is inappropriate. Paul has to think of that as his audience and not be prejudiced against them and still be willing to share. The truth of God's word. I believe that the opportunity that Paul had before King Agrippa was ordained by God. And he had respect for that audience. That's why I think this scripture is so beneficial for us today. Because we can see this example for us in our lives as Christians. We should be able to give our testimony. And it starts with the audience that we have. We should be bold to be willing to speak to others. Paul said his opportunity before the king at this time to speak to him should be the same as what we have. We will have an audience. We should feel fortunate for that opportunity. We may say, I'll never have that important of a person that I have to witness to. Paul is speaking to a governor, to somebody with importance. Will I ever have to do that? I think our audience can be much harder, can be more intimidating. Because our audience might be our spouse, might be our mother or our father, might be our own children, our grandchildren, our grandparents. It might be our employer. It might be our employees. It might be people in our own inner circle, the ones closest to us. And we have to be bold and willing to share. And what stands in our way to do that? The fear of man. Because we're more worried about what they're going to think of us or that we might fail than be faithful and speak to that audience. I'd like to tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Dave. Dave and I went to high school together. We were good friends. We had a relationship that came about because we took a class in high school called restaurant management. What it was is home ec for boys. And we were in the same lab. There was Dave and I and two other goof offs. And we were in this lab where we had to cook and the camaraderie that we had between us was great, and it lasted for years and years past that. One day, Denise and I were on lunch. I was working afternoons. She was on lunch. I was headed to work. Here's Dave, sitting at Burger King. And I had to say hi to him. So I went over. Dave was the same as in high school, and he was one of those guys that was tall, dark, and handsome. And I was wishing I would have got one of those. (laughs) And I said to Dave, Dave, how's it going? He said, it's going good. How's it going for you? I said, it's going good. What are you up to? He said, I'm trying to make some changes in my life. I said, no kidding. He said, yeah, I quit gambling. He said, but I can't lick the booze. And right there, there was the opportunity. He wanted to make life changes and he told me what he couldn't do and I did not say to him Dave let me tell you about the God that has changed my life I thought it was too churchy for Burger King I had a meal over there and I said Dave it was nice seeing you take care by the end of that year Dave was dead he had died and when I found out the circumstances of how he passed away was at his funeral and his parents told me that one night, he was leaving the bar, he was intoxicated, hit some parked cars, and he came home, and he told his folks, called him and said, I can't do this anymore. I think this is the big one. This is going to send me to prison or jail. Life is not worth living, and he took his own life. I learned that at his funeral, and I knew right then that I had to tell them. Because nobody else wanted to share. Nobody else wanted to tell anything about what they knew about Dave. Dave was a great guy. But he needed the Lord. And I didn't tell him. I had the opportunity. So I want to tell you folks, if there's anyone here that has the same struggle, there's a God that changes lives. We all have opportunity. They're ordained by God. They must be done in respect to those that we're speaking to and we should not have a fear of men. Moving on, remember remember your conversion. Remember the conversion, both of those. Paul starts his conversion by talking about his past. He says, from his youth, his life has been one of religious living. He's a Pharisee. He lives the life of a Pharisee. He is a moral individual. He concurs with those that are pious Jews. They are part of his circle of friends. He interacts with them. He thought his life's direction was right. He he had convinced himself that he should do many things in uh, opposing the name of the Jesus of Nazareth. And where did he do those things? Wherever he wanted to. In Jerusalem, even in the foreign cities, it says. And what did he do? God's word tells us he looked up many saints, and he locked up many saints in prison with authority from those that had the authority at that time, the high priest. I can imagine him saying to King Agrippa. King, I'm, I'm like you. I, I'm a man of authority. I was doing things that I was told to do. You, you and I are kind of the same. And then when they were put to death, it says he was there. He might not have done the actual killing, but he cast his vote in that way. And he punished them in the synagogue. Now, people, to people at Crossway Christian Church, That one should kind of be unique to us if you're in our yearly reading plan because in John 16, which should either be one of these days, this very passage is in scripture where Jesus says, he warns his disciples, this is gonna happen to you. They will put you out of the synagogue. Intimidation, that is what they're going to do to you. Jesus said that it would happen And here it is. He tried to make them blaspheme and to persecute them. Paul says, this is who I am. This is my past. Every Christian, Paul included, has a past. And how do we address our own past? How do we do that when we're giving our testimony? What's appropriate to say? Well, we can speak in our life past, but what you'll notice, Paul didn't say. I was born in the hospital because I wanted to be near my mother. He doesn't go back that far. It isn't a life history. He wants to share those things that are pertinent to his conversion. And then we might think, what about those of us that don't have that much of a past? What can we say in our testimony? I say to you, your past is the same as every other sinner. We totally lack spiritual good before God. Every part of our being is affected by sin, our intellect, our our emotions, our desires, our hearts. Listen to what Paul writes three times in Romans, I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. Romans 718. 623, for the wages of sin is death. 323, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's word makes it abundantly clear that we all have led a life in rebellion to God. So do you who have been spared much, By a merciful God, you also were on the same path to an eternal separation from God. But what about those individuals like Paul that have much in their past? How much do we actually specifically tell people when we want to share our, our testimony with them? I will use another example of a friend of mine, his name is Mike. Mike and I were friends in the decade of our 20s. I didn't say the decade of the 20s. (laughs) But we had a lot of things in common. We're all about the same age. It had been a year or two since we'd been out of military service. We are very much blue collar, and we rode motorcycles. And to whatever extent we wanted to live Uh, The motorcycle lifestyle was up to the individual. For me, myself, I thought I could have that life over here, and I still could be a churchgoer over here, and, and God would work through that for myself. But for Mike, there was nothing other than that lifestyle. And in Mike's own words, what he said was, he lived life full throttle. Until years later... When we had this conversation, he said to me, he said, you know, Rich, he said, if God had never intervened in my life, I'd be dead right now. I could have not kept on with the substance abuse in that life without it killing me. Mike had become a Christian. He'd even become a pastor at a church. And he said, when he had to give his testimony to others, he said, I'm very guarded as to what I tell people about my past. He said, he knew what it said in the scripture that we just read where it says, we come from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. And Mike said, he says, I never want to say something to individuals. To make them think, I'm giving glory to the devil for the power that he had in my life. And you know what? I think that's good advice for us. We don't have to tell everything. Some things are better left unsaid. Because people might think that we're giving honor to the devil for the way that he he was in our life. Every Christian testimony has a past. And if your Bible is like mine... At about verse 12, it says the heading is, Paul tells of his conversion. This has all been his past. Now he's going to speak about his conversion. In verses 12 through 14, we see the account of how he was on the road to Damascus. This bright light brings them through their knees. Everybody that was there, it was brighter than the sun. Paul, Saul hears a voice in his own language. And it says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard to kick against the goads. This is an experience. It's not a conversion. There's a difference. It's kind of like the story about the old farmer that hooks that stubborn mule up to the wagon, and he goes to town for supplies. Right as he gets into town... That mule stops again. He reaches under his seat, gets out that broken axe handle, walks up to that mule and in less than love, gives him a whop alongside the head. One of the city people sitting on the porch says, hey, mister, are you trying to kill that animal? And he says, no, I'm just trying to get his attention. God got Paul's attention in this, but it's not his conversion. He goes on. When it comes to conversion, it is the same for everyone. It is the power of God. And we will speak more about that in our next point. But here, in this conversion, this conversion of Paul, we see that there is a purpose for what Paul is to do. After every conversion, there is a purpose. We are drawn unto God. And in verse 15 through 18, it tells us exactly what that purpose is going to be in God's, in his life, that God has anointed. But maybe before we get there, there's one verse that I overlooked. Maybe there's the one that everybody thought of. Say, I, I would like to know what that means when it says, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. You know, one of the things that I was, looking at and and studying was a message from John MacArthur when he was talking about expository preaching. And he said, expository preaching is right, and it should be what we are doing, but it can also be done wrong. And he said, one of the things that unfortunately many young preachers are doing today is, he said, they think that they have to make the Bible relevant to what's happening today. So we gotta take what's there and we gotta bring it up to today and, and look at it today. And he said that's absolutely wrong. We have to go back to exactly where it was, understand how it was given to us and be able to understand exactly the circumstances and the meaning that it is there. And this is a great example of that. Does anybody have a goat around their house? If you look in Judges, Chapter 3, verse 31, it gives us a little information about it because it says an ox goad. It's a long pole that's used to prod, goat, to prod animals as they go along. Might, might even have a sharpened end on it to get them to do what you want. So what this is saying is, this is a statement, and God is saying, when you go against that goad, and push back on it, it's only gonna make it worse. If I had to bring this saying to today, I would maybe say, it's hard to fight City Hall. And in saying that, I say, Paul, it's hard for you to go against the authority. I mean that God is City Hall. I mean that God is before any authority that there is in this world. God is supreme over all. And we cannot go against his will. We can only go against his will, and even in our will, only so far, and then he's going to change it. And that's what he did to Paul. He cannot stand against the power of God. And Paul had that calling. He was to be the minister among the Gentiles. And he said that he was faithful in all of that. He continued to do that, verse 19. Friends, if you have to pick between, between being faithful to men and being faithful to God, to God, choose God every time. That doesn't sound like that easy to do, but Paul tells us exactly how that can come about, and that is in verse 20, he's 22, he says, to this day, I have the help of God. We are not in this alone. Trust and turn to God. Ask him to be the one to give us the strength continue. Paul never lost sight of those who he was speaking to and we should neither but then Festus in a loud voice says to him you must be out of your mind Paul says no I am not and he stands firm even in his conviction that Christ is king and to his audience, and he returns back to his audience, and he says to Agrippa, I know that you know what I'm saying is true, King Agrippa. But King Agrippa says, would you have me be a a Christian in this short a time? Paul comes back and says, whether it takes me a long time or a short time, I don't care, I want you to be like I am. I want you to know who God is, other than I hope you don't have to be persecuted for your faith like I am. We should remember our conversion and the calling that has been put on our lives. We are to speak boldly about what God has done on our lives. It might be hard for us to do that among some people that we know for a long time who we don't necessarily want to know that much about us, that we had a past, but each one of us has a past. And we can remind ourselves, as Paul did, That God is there to lead and direct us in all that we do. And when we share with somebody else, it doesn't just end there. We should be willing to be in it for the long haul. That we would be willing to minister to them into the future. We should remember our audience and we should remember our conversion. And finally, remember the truth. The truth is of Jesus Christ. He is the one that converts and changes hearts and lives. He is the one that makes a conversion happen. In this scripture, Paul talks about different things of the truths of Jesus Christ. I'm going to point some of those out, and then we're going to end with the truth itself, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, Paul says, why is it thought incredibly? Why is it thought that it is so incredible that God cannot raise somebody from the dead? This is a powerful God. And he's talking to King Agrippa. And King Agrippa might be thinking in his mind, that's the same God that delivered our people from persecution in Egypt. He's the same God that brought them to the Red Sea. And parted that water. And in doing that, that power was not only what delivered his people, but also brought judgment against those that would stand in opposition to God. And Jesus spoke himself. He said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. I have appeared to you for for this purpose. Verse 16. I am sending you. Verse 17. The great I am is the one that is speaking. Jesus spoke to Paul. Jesus spoke to every heart that is converted. Jesus is the one that calls, gathers, and enlightens each person to the truth of their salvation. And that work continues through the power of the Holy Spirit. Until God calls this age to an end, everyone that he brings to himself, through conversion, will happen through the truth of who Christ is. Paul also pointed to the prophets, to Moses, and to the truth that they had in their writings and that matched up exactly with the life and death of Christ. Maybe the biggest understatement in all of these, Paul just said a few words and he said, but I am speaking true and rational words. Paul, the one that wrote much of the New Testament. Peter would give witness of Paul, to Paul himself in the validity of his word when Peter would write chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, and count the patience of your Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, When he speaks in them of these matters, there are some of the things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Peter says it is inspired words that Paul speaks, and they are the same words as other scriptures. They're one and the same. Every changed heart and life comes about in the same way God intervenes and changes hardened sinful hearts to know and to believe in Christ himself, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the good news, but it doesn't start out as good news. We are dead in our sin and forever separated from a holy God, but God, rich in love and grace, calls a nation to himself, one heart at a time, He changes the hearts and sees we are forever lost in our sin and in the need of a savior to be right before him. God paid the price for our sin, which we could not. And how was that price paid? God the Son, Jesus, came to this world, led a perfect sinless life, died as payment for our sin, rose from the dead by the power of God, God the Father, and has shown and paid the debt for sin that we could not and he has returned to his rightful place and the king of the king of kings sits next to the almighty god himself and we receive the righteousness of god that right standing before him when we believe and accept jesus as our savior We are sons and daughters of God through faith alone and Christ alone. We should know well what we speak. It's the power of the gospel that changes lives. So we should remember our audience. That audience is God ordained. We should be respectful to them and we should not have a fear of man. We should remember our conversion. We all have a before and after. And we have been changed by the grace of God. And remember the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what changes hearts and lives. And there's an order to these three things. The most important is always Christ Jesus. He is preeminent above all. Second is our audience. They are important because they need to know what Christ can do in a heart, in a life. And lastly, is us. We're the least important. We should not think that anything that we do ever makes us special or that we can do anything to gain God's favor. Our, va- our salvation comes to us as a free gift. It is a gift of God that none of us should boast. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we think about the boldness of of Paul, that this man that would persecute many would be the one that you would use to show the gospel message to a whole race of people, Lord, that were outside of the first covenant people to unite us all as one body, as one nation, that you have redeemed. Lord, we thank you that you give us opportunity to share that gospel, to share our witness. May we proclaim it in its truth. May we be humble. And may those that we are speaking to have their hearts changed, if it is your will, but use us for that endeavor. And it's in Christ's name that I pray, amen.